Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Recently, I bought a book by uh, Dr. John Lennox, who is um, a professor of mathematics at uh, the University of Oxford. And he, you know, holds another uh, a number of uh, emeritus uh, positions in the area of mathematics and, and philosophy. And uh, he is a he's a very very strong Christian as well. And his book uh, is titled "Against the Flow." The subtitle is "The Inspiration of Daniel in an Age of Relativism." And uh, John Lennox is, a, is quite a strong uh, Christian. And one of the things that he's arguing is that just as in the Bible, Daniel, and uh, who uh, became an advisor to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, when Babylon, the Babylonian Empire was at its peak, it was the... Um, the most powerful empire in the in the sort of the Western civilization area, and it was a, a pay, very much a pagan uh, empire with many gods that uh, they worshipped, and they had many you know pagan customs, and so Daniel, uh, as we know from the Bible, was a Hebrew uh, who was taken captive by. Um, Nebuchadnezzar's army and he was uh, selected along with um, other young people and in particular three of his friends to be taken to Babylon and trained in the the ways of um, you know, Babylonian culture so that they could then be advisors uh, to the king or part of the, the king's ad- advisory service there that he gathered around him. And what uh, Dr. Lennox points out, or Professor Lennox points out, is that here we have um, Daniel who knew about God and had a powerful and strong faith in the Creator God, the God had created the heavens and the earth. He was taken to Babylon, and here he was in a culture that was very much um, opposed to that, was very much a a pagan culture, and he, uh, John Lennox, is essentially arguing that Christians today we're moving into this age of, of relativism, where there's these all these these different views um, about you know what is right and wrong, and um, there's the the growth of of a, an atheistic view that science has disproved God that um, and so we're almost sort of like living in a in a world where God isn't taken into account a- anymore. One of the aspects that he points out, for example, is that uh, up until relatively recently, certainly in in my lifetime, um, history was uh, taught, uh, at universities, in the context of God being in um, behind history, in other words, that there was a God, there was a real intervening God who controlled the affairs of men, and of course, this is 
this comes out of the very first part of uh, Daniel, where we read in in the very first chapter of Daniel, in verse 2, when um, Daniel is talking about that points out that God was behind Nebuchadnezzar's victory in capturing Jerusalem. And we read there, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, who was the king of Judah, into his hand. So even though Daniel saw this this pagan army comes in and destroys uh, or captures Jerusalem, breaches the wall and captures Jerusalem, uh, Daniel saw that the result was permitted by God, that God was still in control. And the, uh, Lennox points out that this is that Daniel is interpreting history in the way that God is in in control. But this sort of interpretation today would be very provocative. People, you know, at universities, for example, if you wrote up your thesis along these lines, it's likely to be rejected. But um, and to assert that um, there's a God behind history actually flies into you know th- this is right in the face of the uh, secular worldview um, that you know things are random that God doesn't e- inter- intervene and uh, again if you were you know studying history and doing your thesis and trying to write it up. From this perspective, it would probably, you know, be laughed at or you'd be considered naive. And Lennox points this out that uh, one of the um, commentators, Leslie Newbigin, says that from Augustine till the 18th century, history in Europe was written in the belief that divine providence was the key to understanding events. And... I, I have a book at home uh, by um, uh, Herbert uh, Butterfield uh, on um, you know, uh, Christianity and history. Um, and he points out, and, and Herbert Butterfield was a professor of history at Oxford in the 1950s, and he looks at the, the overwhelming evidence that God has been behind the, the history of the world up until that time. And uh, and again, uh, Professor Lennox points out that Herbert Butterfield could readily write of God's providence. And he quotes Butterfield as saying, as God is a living and active agency, both in ourselves and in its movement over the length and breadth of history. And that's from Butterfield's book, uh, page 147. So... What we have moved into is this this age where God is being pushed out of the education system, uh, particularly by this very secular, atheistic view. And one of the things that uh, Professor Lennox, who is a you know, very clever mathematician, very logical, points out is that there's an important need now to actually stand against this flow and, and particularly those academics and also Christians who are in prominent public positions to actually state their faith because his argument is, and Lennox's argument in his book is, that the Christian faith is actually based on evidence. 
it's based on powerful evidence. Now, one of the people, one of the professors, of course, that challenges this is, is Richard Dawkins. Um, one of Dawkins' uh, you know, quotes that are often picked up by the media is um, Dawkins you know, asserts, and, and, re, and I quote Dawkins, next time that somebody tells you that something is true, why not say to them what kind of evidence is there for that? And if they can't give you a good answer, I hope that you'll think very carefully before you believe a word that they say. Now, it's very interesting that uh, Lennox actually replies to Dawkins and um, uh, I think he says a very, raises a very interesting point. So John Lennox, this Christian mathematician, says, I agree wholeheartedly with Richard Dawkins on this point. Indeed, as the philosopher David Hume pointed out long ago, it is of the very essence of science to proportion belief to evidence. So far, so good. But then Dawkins makes a distinction between the legitimate evidence-based thinking, that is the stock and trade of the scientist, and what he calls religious faith, which belongs, according to Dawkins, to a different category. And because, you see, Dawkins goes on, and Dawkins is, you know, the one of the main proponents of uh, evolutionary theory today, and it's been very uh, critical of religion. In fact, he goes on, Dawkins writes, I think that a case can be made that faith is one of the world's greatest evils, comparable to the smallpox virus, but harder to eradicate. Faith being belief that isn't based on evidence is the principal vice of any religion. And so here we have this very prominent uh, zoologist promoting evolution, attacking religion, and saying that people that believe in religion, uh, there's, there's no evidence for their faith and that this is really bad and it needs to be stamped out. And this is, this is something we really need to look at quite carefully because we need to apply Dawkins' own claim that next, some, when somebody tells you something, ask them for the evidence. And it's very interesting that uh, Lennox, who is a Christian, Professor Lennox, Christian, mathematician, professor of maths at Oxford University, one of the top universities in the world, he goes on to write, this is Lennox, it would be a mistake to think that this extreme view is typical. Many atheists are far from happy with its militancy, not to mention its repressive, even totalitarian overtone. So what he's saying is this particular atheistic view that is so critical of religion, wanting to crush religion, saying that religion isn't based on any evidence at all. You know, it's a fairy tale. What um, here Lennox is pointing out, well, hang on, you know, not all atheists are happy with this. But Lennox then goes on to point out, however, it is these excessive statements that receive the media exposure with the result that many people are aware of those views and have been affected by them. He then points out it would therefore be folly to ignore them. We must take it seriously. And this is the really sad thing, as Lennox is pointing out, is that the media has taken these extreme views and promote them. But these views aren't true. Religion and our faith in God, our faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, our Saviour, is not based on just 
on, on something for which there is no evidence. Matter of fact, um, Lennox, this very logical mathematician, goes on to say, pointing to Dawkins, he says, from what Dawkins says, it is clear that one of the things that sadly has generated Dawkins' hostility to faith in God is his impression that whereas scientific belief is based on publicly checkable evidence, religious faith not only lacks evidence, it is independence from evidence. Its independence from evidence is its joy shouted from the rooftops. In other words, Dawkins takes all religious faith to be blind faith. Here again, Lennox, the logical mathematician, applies and says, however, taking Dawkins' own advice, headlined above, we must ask, what is the evidence that religious faith is not based on evidence? Get that? In other words, we should challenge the atheists and that, what is the evidence that religious faith is not based on evidence? And unfortunately, there are people who, while professing faith in God, take an overtly anti-scientific and obscuritist viewpoint. And what the whole point that Professor Lennox is pointing out is that Christianity is based on evidence, really good evidence. And the fact that Dawkins and these people make these uh, statements that there's no evidence for Christianity, we need to look very carefully at that. Lennox goes on to say, these statements by atheists such as Dawkins and Hitchens and Dennett and so forth uh, do not alter the fact that mainstream Christianity will insist that faith and evidence are inseparable. Indeed, faith is a response to evidence, not a rejoicing in the absence of evidence. The Christian apostle John gives the following explanation for his account, and you know, with the Gospel of John, because he writes, These are written so that you may believe. And that's John chapter 20, verse 31. In other words, when John was writing his Gospel, when he wrote that down, he was an eyewitness that Jesus was the Son of God and that Jesus rose from the dead and performed the various miracles that he did during his life. And he wrote that book so that we may believe. In other words, Christianity is based on evidence. And, of course, it wasn't just John. There were the other, many other disciples that, that wrote of the evidence that was there. And that's what we have in the Bible. And that's why the Bible is so important to be read. It's not a book of, you know, myths. It's not a book of... This is an account of recording the evidence that Jesus was the Son of God. Again, the Christianity also... um, as Christians, we look to the evidence for God in nature um, and the evidence for our faith that can be found in nature. The Apostle Paul said that what many pioneers of modern science believe, you know, people like Newton and Maxwell and these sort of people that laid the foundation for modern science and were really strong Bible-reading Christians that believed in God and had an amazing experience there. They believe that nature itself is part of the evidence for the existence of God. 
As a matter of fact, Paul writes about this. Paul writes in Romans 1.20, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they, those people that don't believe, are without excuse. And um, so here um, we see that the evidence is overwhelming that Christianity is based on evidence. And it's based on very, very strong evidence. Christianity is not a blind faith. The statements that these atheists like Dawkins are making are the very opposite to what the true situation is. In other words, in actual fact, they, they have blind that. And it's quite interesting that uh, Professor John Lennox, a mathematician, points out that Dawkins' statements, again, um, are evidence of the very statements he claims to abhor because he says, look, you know, if somebody tells you something, where's the evidence? Dawkins has no evidence that Christianity is blind faith. He hasn't provided any evidence. And, um, you know, one of the things that's pointed out is that Lennox writes, an exhibition of breathtaking inconsistency. The evidence is the very thing that Dawkins fails to supply for his claim that faith rejoices in the independence of evidence. And the reason he, Dawkins fails to provide such evidence is not hard to find, for there is no evidence. And there's so much um, evidence in the writings of you know, great theologians and great scientists like Isaac Newton and James Clark Maxwell that um, these scholars base their research and their faith on evidence. And this is, um, you know, this is a, a very important point to to realise that the Christian faith is based on so much evidence, including the evidence from nature and and God's, um, you know, the the things that are created in this world. I was talking to someone just the other day about. Um, that you know, many people just don't realise the complexity of the genetic codes that are responsible for all the different structures of living things, from plants to mushrooms to animals, birds, fish, little creepy crawly insects, and all the um, tiny little minute creatures that uh, we don't normally encounter because they're so small and all the little parts these these creatures have the codes for those are so complex and yet they look nothing like the the codes themselves are very independent from the structures so we write the word apple a double p l e and when we read the, the code apple in a book, A-double-P-L-E, we can picture in our mind the shape of an apple and maybe its seeds and this sort of thing. And it, it's a very simple word. But if we hadn't learned French at school and we read the word pom, P-O-M-M-E, we, we may not recognise that as being, you know, the word apple. We may think it is, is something else. And... Again, though, while we represent an apple with those very simple letters, the, the codes to make an apple 
involve, you know, 750 million chemical structures in the code, 750 million particular letters that we represent as A, C, T and G, are arranged to write out the code that an amazing molecular machine, we call a ribosome, with over 300,000 atoms in it, can make once it can read that code and can construct from amino acids and other factors can begin to construct the components that make up an apple. The apple's reproductive system, these sort of things. And we're just talking about a simple piece of fruit, you know, that falls off a tree and we don't necessarily take much notice of, let alone the tiny little creatures that around. I was um, in a museum um, recently uh, looking uh, through and there's a photographic exhibition where this photographer had uh, photographed um, tiny little insects. So we're not down to electron microscope type uh, scale but very large magnification, 100 times uh, type magnification of tiny little critters and the amazing structures that are on these uh, little critters and their different um, you know, reproductive systems and wings and different leg structures and arrangements, uh, different little camouflage mechanisms and colours and patterns. And uh, you know, many of these creatures, well, they weren't common creatures, and um, they're very little minute uh, creatures, and all of these creatures have a have a different code, and these codes are extremely complex. You know, they they can't arise by chance. And I was talking about someone, uh, you know, to this. The evidence we have now is so overwhelming that life was created. Absolutely impossible to for it to evolve. And as you know, mathematicians like John Lennox and you know, many other mathematicians recognise now that these complex structures just can't evolve. And, of course, sometimes the biologists say, oh, well, you know, what do mathematicians know? What do chemists know? Well, again, mathematics and chemistry come well before biology. And the laws of mathematics um, are fixed. They're proven over and over again. And the laws of chemistry, that only certain reactions take place. Other reactions never take place. And, you know, this is the, um, you know, the whole principle that we understand of science. There are certain chemical reactions that go. There are certain chemical reactions that don't go. Otherwise, everything could fall to bits at different times, you know, or explode or blow up or whatever. But it doesn't work that way. Things can be very stable. Or other things can be very active and hence we can, you know, burn fuels and power our automobiles and, um, and so forth and generate uh, particular chemical reactions to, to make particular compounds or to make, you know, different alloys and, of metals and, and so forth. And James M. Tour, another outstanding chemistry professor, points out that when we read these books and we talk about, and, you know, in the biologists talk about how first life appeared, different molecules came together and, and so forth. James Tour points out, and his job is to assemble and make new molecules. And he was saying that we don't know the chemistry. There's no way that we could construct the molecules to 
put the molecules together to make just a cell membrane. That is just the outer casing for a cell to, uh, to, to form. The chemical reactions that are required to build those structures just don't occur in nature. We can't make them happen. We can't assemble them. And so here we have a scientist, one of the most highly scientist chemists in the world. That means his research is used by other scientists in the world, saying, we don't know how to put together these molecules. They don't occur. The reactions that are required to form those structures just don't occur in nature by themselves. And this is something that we need to get across to the young people, that they, there are claims being made out there by you know scientists that have qualifications like Dawkins and, and, and others that are making these claims that you know life just occurred by itself, that there is no God. The media is picking up on these things and putting this evidence out there and, or putting these claims out there. But when we look at these claims, there's actually no evidence for them. And at the same time, we have the, you know, this tendency in the media to look for all the faults it can with, with religion, uh, and, and in particularly the, the Christian faith, that Jesus came, was God who came here and lived and died in our place so that we could be forgiven and saved. That, those claims of the Christian faith are based on evidence and that evidence is in the Bible. And Lennox in his book Against the Flow is pointing out that the book of Daniel, we have so much historical evidence for the book of Daniel and that the book of Daniel has these prophecies that were fulfilled accurately hundreds of years later, could not have possibly been written after the event because the book of Daniel prophesies the coming of Christ and his death and yet we know the book of Daniel must have been written hundreds of years before that event happened. We have overwhelming evidence for that. And he points out that we have this evidence that the Bible is true, that God is real. And he is encouraging Christians to stand up now and speak out um, on this evidence and stand up and show that as Christians they believe because that's what Daniel did. Daniel stood for his faith in that pagan um, kingdom and he ended up being respected for his faith and God rewarded his faith with many answers to prayer. And that's the other factor is we stand up for God. God will honour our faith um, and we will see answers to prayer which will provide the evidence for people so that others may believe and come to know God too. Remember, you can re-listen to this and the earlier programs by going to 3abnaustralia.org.au and click on the Listen button and programs um, like Faith and Science and other really great programs will come up. Just click on those programs and you'll be able to hear the past programs. I'm Dr John Ashton. You've been listening to Faith and Science. Have a great day.
You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.